It's Wednesday, October 12th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Brian Hinman. Thanks for being here. Hey, Chris. For any listener who who made it through yesterday's <laughs> tangent-laden episode, and they heard me say from Motley Fool Funds, and they cringed, thinking that Barker and Mann were going to be back in the studio. Good news! It's Brian Hinman. It's as if they've been exiled. <laughs> This this is my first solo show. I got there's a lot of pressure for me to carry it, really? but I appreciate you putting me on the back of Tangent Fest. <laughs> Tangent Fest, worst <laughs> festival ever. Uh, we're gonna dip into the full mailbag. We do have a little bit of uh, news. I'm not gonna say this is news fairy level news, but this uh, we got an acquisition going on in the. Uh, I guess you'd call it broadly the automotive industry. Broadly, broadly, Polaris Industries. Is the company they make all-terrain vehicles? Polaris is buying Transamerican Auto Parts for six hundred sixty-five million dollars. Transamerican makes auto parts for off-road SUVs, and I'm assuming this is being viewed as a good deal because shares of Polaris—I mean, Polaris—is stroking a pretty big check, and their stock is up about four percent this morning. Well, I. I'm a little more skeptical here. So, a little backstory: Polaris has uh, been a, a wonderful stock over 10 years, but over the past year and a half, it's it's lost about half of its value. Uh, the ORV uh, off-road vehicle and ATV industry has really uh, slowed down a little bit. There's some ties to oil and gas and agriculture there that have uh, that have contributed to that. But there's also issue in that their competitors are getting stronger. So. Um, Put that in uh, in in combination with the fact that uh, some of their largest products recently have had big recalls. Uh, Wall Street has really lost a lot of faith in this business, um, and this for a long time has been a growth company. They have ambitions of becoming an eight billion dollar uh, sales business by 2020, and they're at about four and a half billion now. So to get there, they really need a lot of help from their core ORV ATV business, and they have to make smart acquisitions. So the reason that this this acquisition uh, I'm a little skeptical of at first uh, is because it's in a new vertical for them. Uh, they don't do anything with automobiles per se. Uh, they you know play in that off-road vehicle market. So uh, this is their biggest ever acquisition. So it's a big check that they're writing as you mentioned, uh, and it's in a new it's in a new vertical. So uh, it's unique from that perspective. Am I correct that they said they they expect this to be accretive? Next year, they do. Uh, so I mean, I guess we'll see, won't we? I mean, this, yeah. this is not one of those. Well, this is. We see this with some companies where they make an acquisition and they're very clear at the outset of, well, we expect this to play out. We're not going to see results with. They're coming out right out of the gate and saying, no, 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 next year. Yeah. So this this uh, one of the reasons for that is is because Transamerican. Uh, this is the name of the company they're buying. Transamerican makes money. Uh, so that that helps, and they're buying uh, they're buying this business at a reasonable price, less than one time sales, about nine times EBITDA as as they uh, as they report it. Um, but I think a couple other things play into this. Um, one, Polaris thinks that they're going to be able to integrate this uh, well. I think because of cultural reasons. So the CEO of Transamerican uh, is a rider, which basically means he lives the life of uh, the lifestyle that his company represents. Uh, he goes off-roading and sort of uh, embodies the brand. And that's Polaris in a nutshell too. Up and down the ranks of Polaris, all of their uh, management team uh, love off-road vehicle riding, ATV riding, uh, these sorts of things. So uh, they think that the, the integration will go smoothly, and that's a key to that. The other big piece here is um, 
Transamerican's business is aftermarket accessory parts to basically pimp out uh, your four-wheel drive Jeeps. Uh, Polaris gets about 17-18% of its sales from parts, garments, and accessories for its ORVs, snowmobiles, and ATVs. So, there are some design and manufacturing synergies um, that they're hoping to, to, to get out of this deal, uh, on top of being able to sell uh, Polaris-branded uh, parts and accessories through the Trans-American Distribution Network. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. From Jose Burgos in San Juan, Puerto Rico, I'm 19 years old and wondering, what are your thoughts on advanced micro-devices? I currently have this stock in my portfolio, and I'm looking for your advice on whether to sell or hold. We can't, we can't give the personal advice. Wish we could, we can't. But, we can share some thoughts on sure. AMD. Hey, Jose. I'll also point out that Jose, Jose's question uh, did not leave me any room to say he should buy this stock. So he could be he could be uh, you know giving us a little tell here that he's worried about about AMD. So uh, AMD is a semiconductor company and they design semiconductors for CPUs and graphics chips. Um, this company is a perpetual share loser uh, to the big dogs that they compete with, uh, Intel and Nvidia. And if I were to choose a couple of competitors that I would not really want to go up against. Intel and Nvidia would be on that list. I'd throw Amazon in there too, but uh, thankfully I guess uh, AMD is is doesn't have to deal with Amazon at the moment. Uh, so this company has basically gotten its its tail kicked by Intel and Nvidia uh, forever. Um, and finally the company is saying okay, we might need to do something different. So they're in a bit of a business transformation now and they're getting out of manufacturing uh, semiconductors. Um, and they're focusing on design, and so this is the business model that Arm Holdings um, has uh, grown to prominence and was recently bought out. Uh, it's a much better business model um, for a smaller player like AMD. So uh, the thinking behind this business transition, I think, is pretty solid. Here's the problem, uh, Chris, and here's the problem, Jose. Uh, AMD, I think, is at a structural disadvantage compared to its competitors, and has a lot to do with uh, its size. So, over the past five years, AMD has spent six billion dollars cumulatively on R&D. Six billion dollars—that's a lot of money. Intel spent twelve billion last year. <laughs> oh Lord! So, Intel outspends AMD by a factor of twelve to one annually uh, in R&D. So. AMD's placing all of its chips on having better design. No pun uh, and, intended. Yeah, exactly. Having better design, but they just can't compete with the big dog. And I don't think anyone wants to go work there when they could go work at Intel. The thing about AMD, the stock, is it's it's not unlike uh, teen apparel uh, retailers in that you can look at a given six or twelve month period. You can cherry pick one of those time frames, and look at the stock. And the stock looks it performs well yep. over the last twelve months. This stock is up more than two hundred percent, and we've seen that with you know Gap, American Eagle, that kind of thing. In a given year, in a given six month period, boy. The, but holy cow, that's just. I mean, that's a tough. I would not want to invest that way. And by that, I mean, I would not want to invest in a company where my primary thought is, 
this is the shortest leash imaginable that I have this stock on. I'm waiting for you know I'm I'm expecting it to run up a little bit and then I'm looking to get out as soon as I can. Hope springs eternal with this one when it's always getting uh, pounded into oblivion. There are a lot of dead cat bounces, uh, and I think that's the situation here with AMD. Question from Blaine Remick, uh, University of Miami Law School. Go Canes. That's your old stomping ground, isn't it? Well, I Florida. go Hatters. Florida. Hatters? What? Wait, what is Hatters? <laughs> that's a Stets, the Stetson Hatters. Right. No, I meant just Florida is where Florida you're from. Florida in general. Florida. Yes. <laughs> wait a minute. Now, come on, I'm not going to say go Canes. I got to say go Hatters. The, the we ma- have a D1 team now. The mascot at your school is the Hatters. Chris, not even not even the Mad Hatters, not even the slightly ill-tempered Hatters, just the Hatters. I mean, if you're going to be the Hatters, go Mad Hatters, right? I. Why wouldn't they do that? You know, I, I don't know. Let's get to Blaine's question. <laughs> Before going to law school, I was an economist for the Department of Defense and have an honors degree in economics from the University of Nebraska. I've had a love of finance and markets almost all my life and managed my own brokerage account and investments throughout my undergrad and time spent as a professional economist. Now that I'm in law school, I don't have time to manage my investments. How come? <laughs> Can't imagine. Isn't law school? I heard that was a breeze. Uh, after reading the book A Random Walk Down Wall Street, I started considering liquidating my positions and purchasing shares of a reputable ETF that tracks the S&P 500. I wonder if this sounds like a decent idea. Um, and we got another question, uh, sort of along these same lines, uh, from Alex Karachi. Um, he also touches on this concept of how much time is involved in investing. Um, Alex has a slightly different question that we'll get to in a second, but um, what do you think of the idea of, uh, we talk about index funds, and particularly a low-cost index fund like Vanguard runs, and if the fees are low over the long term, we're generally fans of that. Uh, What do you think of the idea of an ETF rather than an index fund? Uh, Indifferent, really. Uh, I think. ETFs are more liquid, yes? So, not necessarily. The benefit that they give you is intraday liquidity. So, if you are a long-term owner of stocks and all you're looking for is to have exposure to the stock market over time, that intraday liquidity shouldn't be all that valuable to you. What you should look for is you should look for, as you mentioned, go with the low price leader here because the the product itself, whether it's a mutual index mutual fund or an ETF, they're going to give you the same the same exposure. So you should just try to not you should try to take as small a haircut as you can. And index investing when you are time strapped, I think it's the right solution. So kudos, I think you're taking the right steps. Alex's question is: If for somebody with a full-time job and does investing on the side, how much time should I spend analyzing a company before I make a decision, and ultimately, what should I focus on? I'm sort of tempted to say until you feel comfortable, but that's that's not a great answer. You know, so there is a seduction that we have with data and information. And uh, today's age, there's infinite information at our fingertips. So uh, the the catch here is that um, more information does not always result in better decision making. So there, I feel like there are a couple things beneath this question. You know, there's this: uh, how much information is too much information? What should I be looking at? 
am I gonna am I gonna screw up by not looking enough? Um, am I missing something? Am I missing something? Well, let me make you feel a little bit better. You're always going to be missing something. <laughs> you cannot consume all of the information. There's no such thing as having perfect information to make a fully you know fully optimized decision. So so let that one go and just know that you're not ever going to get there. And so I'm going to rephrase the question here and 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 say what is the minimum necessary uh, that I should do before I should feel comfortable making an investment. And this is going to vary by person, of course, but um, but here are my tips, I guess. Um, the first thing you should do is you should buy a quality business. Uh, do the work necessary to determine whether or not a business is of uh, high quality. And I think, honestly, you really need to just look at a few things, ask yourself a few questions here. Uh, one, look at the balance sheet. And cash flow statement, and make sure they are making cash, cash flow positive, and that there's not too much debt that the company can actually carry out the plans it wants. Uh, second is make sure you understand the business and or service, uh, because uh, if you are going to make any subsequent decisions, uh, the only way to do that is to have to to know actually what's going on in the business. Uh, and then the third, ask yourself if you were given a billion dollars. Um, would you be able to compete with this company? Would you be able to put this company out of business? And what that question is really getting at is figuring out if, if the business has a competitive advantage. And so, if you understand the business, it's financially healthy, and you've identified that it's advantaged in some way that some new competitor couldn't just come in and wipe it out if it had a ton of money, chances are you've got a quality business. The second key piece here is, uh, without going into valuation, um, the way that you get around valuation is you buy quality and you hold it for a long time. So I think you should assess that quality and then you should make yourself hold the stock for five years because a good quality company can grow out of an expensive valuation and you can still do just fine. And we've also seen the flip side of what I was talking about before with AMD. We've seen high quality businesses, great long term performing stocks have a bad quarter have a bad year. Yeah, absolutely. Starbucks is down uh, 11 or 12% this year. Disney uh, seems to be a hated stock now for everything that's going on with with AMD. Amazon has declined in value by 50% a dozen times or so over the past decade. So, really good high-quality businesses present themselves as opportunities. Um, it's identifying those quality businesses Buying them and holding them, or waiting them to have big, big downfalls—that's where the real opportunity lies. I gotta say, the Dis- the pessimism around Disney yeah. is starting to get just curiouser and curiouser for me. We're we're nearing, I think, an inter- max pessimism for Disney and and max optimism for Amazon. It's a it's a really interesting thing to see right now. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, the 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 max as a shareholder of both those companies, the max optimism around Amazon is the one that actually makes me more nervous because <laughs> I just I'm seeing more in my Twitter feed and just with the different news sources that I read, I'm just seeing more and more rose petals being thrown at the feet of Jeff Bezos, and I just oh. <laughs> you know what I'm sure he hates it even more, but. Um, I mentioned uh, Declarations, which is the free monthly newsletter that you and and the Bills and and others uh, at Motley Fool Funds work on. You also spend uh, part of your time uh, with Motley Fool Wealth Management. Can you just share one or two things that you do for Motley Fool Wealth Management? 
Sure. So Motley Fool Wealth Management is uh, the, the Fool's business uh, that builds customized portfolios for individuals based on their uh, preferences, you know, their, their risk tolerance, uh, and their personal financial situation. Uh, that business, Wealth Management, uh, asks me and the Bills and our other co-workers uh, to manage a bunch of strategies, nine in all. Uh, they use those strategies to blend together those customized portfolios. Uh, and so it's really a tailored solution. Um, but I don't have anything to do with that. I get to actually manage the strategies, which is a lot of fun. And so uh, I am the portfolio manager, the lead portfolio manager for the um, long, short, and options uh, strategy that we have and the large cap dividend strategy that we have. So, uh, you know, fools out there have entrusted us with uh, to, to manage their money for them. Uh, and that's what I do on a day to day basis. And this is a question that we get from time to time, and and I think the a couple of the emails that we talked about today really really touch on sort of this this concept of time, and also I think part of it for some people it's I don't have the time, and for some people it's I'm just not that interested. Absolutely. I'm interested in my money, but I'm just not interested. In it, you know, so um, uh, so it, it is. It I mean that that was sort of the the genesis for Motley Fool Wealth Management. Um, and if it's something you're interested in, if you if you're interested in learning more about Motley Fool Wealth Management, you can go to foolwealth.com/radio. Foolwealth.com/radio. I'll put the I'll put that URL in the description of this episode, and uh, if you're interested, you can check it out. Brian Hinman, thanks for your time, man. Hey, my pleasure, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Forward. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.